and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. We are recording this on the eve of the regular season. The Huskies kick off the 2022-23 campaign on Thursday night at Gample Pavilion against the Huskies from Boston Northeastern, which essentially is just a second exhibition game. It's a little hard to get excited for that one, especially coming off an exhibition against Cootstown on Sunday. Feels like the same way we're going to approach takeaways from Cootstown is going to be very similar to how we approach takeaways and what we thought from tomorrow's game. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. It's not the best opponent, but it is another kind of tune up for this team, which is relatively young before they get to their, their big game on Monday. I don't think it's really a bad thing either. We'll get into our bigger takeaways from the exhibition in a little bit, but I thought one thing I noticed was they started a little rusty, maybe a little out of sync, and then just seemed to get comfortable as the game went on. And if you have 40 more minutes where you can play together on the court in a live game with live fans against players with a pulse on the other side who may be outmatched are still going to be trying to win the game, that just adds another level of comfort that you're going to need when you take on Texas on Monday. So I don't think there's anything wrong with having a pseudo exhibition to open the season, especially with how loaded the rest of their non-conference schedule is. No one's going to be talking about them as being scared of playing good teams by having one exhibition against a local opponent. It's not LSU here. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Like you said, their their non-conference schedule is very stacked going forward. So having one more tuned up game is probably good for this team to hopefully avoid something like what happened to Tennessee last night where they just can't figure out how to hold on to the ball. So should make things a little bit smoother on Monday. Yeah, we're what, two games, two days into the season and the chaos has already begun. Bring it here. Yes. <laughs> Bring it. The more chaos, the more fun it is. Exactly. Yeah. We're two days in. The chaos has started. I've already angered all of South Carolina's fans on Twitter. It's we're we're back. <laughs> in fairness, you existed thereby, thereby you annoyed them. Yeah, basically. <laughs> what did you even do? I saw you said that earlier, but I, I actually haven't seen specifically what the uh the uh infraction was. I watched their game on, was it Monday night, and was watching their point guards situation and tweeted something that one of the things that I'm watching when I'm watching how they adjust the point guard, point guard position is if they're able to get Aaliyah Boston the ball in the paint. Because well, like if you've watched any South Carolina loss from the last like year and a half, it's usually because the ball does not get in the paint to Aaliyah Boston for her to do her thing. Um, and I did think they were doing a great job of it. And I tweeted something to that effect and uh, apparently unleashed a lot of anger because obviously their point guard position is entirely figured out because they beat the 350 worth team in the country by 70 points. That just shows that you haven't muted enough of them. Yeah. (laughs) You get to a point. They multiply though. There's always new. There's new accounts. Like I have like half of them muted, but then there's more. (laughs) That's fair. I mean, even... Uh, I should tweet it today and see uh, what kind of reaction it gets. But today, Gino even said that, yeah, South Carolina's front court last year was amazing. But the reason that they won the national championship was because of Destiny Henderson. And if Destiny Henderson doesn't have the game that she does, what does that game look like? So I'm sure they would react to that rationally as well. 
Oh yeah, I'm sure. It's very true, but that the reaction would not be rational. In fairness, it's got to be hard for South Carolina where regardless of what happens, the best point guard that you have is going to be your head coach. <laughs> Fair. This is like, true. That would be like, you know, Sue Bird being a head coach and being like, well, you're not playing point guard as well as I played point guard. Like, yeah, you know, that's that's kind of a high bar to reach. Not that those are it is kind of funny that Don Staley being a point guard has so much trouble finding and developing really good ones. Yeah, it is interesting that that is the position that they have kind of fortunately, I feel like, struggled with the most on their best teams. Like they've had the Asian Muslim or the Aliyah Boston, but just haven't found like the, the perfect answer at that position. Yeah, it's pretty incredible when you think about it, especially you look at those early UConn teams and there was Jen Rosati. And even before Jen Rosati, Gina will still talk very, very highly of Debbie Fisk and Meg Pattison now, or oh, it wasn't Debbie Fisk. It was Debbie Bear back then. And Meg Pattison Colmo. Even those teams had really good point guards. So the fact that South Carolina has two national championships without having a stud point guard is pretty spectacular. But this is not a South Carolina podcast, and I'm sure people are not tuning in to listen to a breakdown of South Carolina until we get to February, whatever that day is, or the national championship game when I think there's like a 71% chance that there's a rematch of that national championship game. No, this is a Yukon podcast, and before we get into the games, I would just like to point out a momentous occasion that has happened on this podcast. As you listen, heard last week if you listened, or if you've listened for a long time, normally the news comes out the day after we record, and our podcast always looks stupid because we haven't talked about the big breaking news that happened literally the same day or the day after we recorded. Last week it was Ice Brady during the COVID season, it was schedules, but we broke the system. We we gamed them. We got them. We were supposed to record last night. I got sick. I wasn't feeling well. We pushed it back to today. And literally about 15 minutes before we start recording, UConn announces a new surprise commitment in its class of 2023. The already three commits, KK Arnold, Ashlyn Shade, and Caden Samuels. We already knew about them. They all signed their letters of intent. And then the Huskies also picked up I don't know if this is the pronunciation, but it's gonna what we're gonna roll with. Jaina El Alfie, a six foot four forward slash center out of Egypt, an international pickup, a big and an important pickup for this class. Her dad is the coach of the Egyptian national team. She's participated in basketball without borders, was Steve Kerr's first round or first overall pick in the draft, and she won MVP honors at the event. So one of the most highly touted international overseas prospects that was out there. She's not ranked in any of ESPN's rankings because she isn't from North America, but UConn's international trends just continue on. Yeah, I think it's an important <laughs> pickup for them, especially to get a big and something the class did not have and something that... I guess we don't really know what that position is going to look like going forward. You've got Dorothy Uhas, who's this is her last season. Aliyah Edwards has one more year, but getting another big in there that can kind of be a part of that depth going forward and then uh, fill those roles as those players graduate is important. Yeah, and 
I don't think the future of the front court is all that solidified because you had someone like Olivia Nelson Adoto who had a lot of height and length. Dorka Yuhas has a lot of height and length. After that, yeah, you have Amari DeBerry. I'm personally, I don't think I'm counting on Amari DeBerry much this season or really going forward until we see a little bit more from her that makes me feel like we should count on her. So then you still have some really nice pieces there. I think Ice Brady's going to bounce back from the injury and be a good player. Obviously, Aaliyah Edwards, you know what you have in her, and she's only going to get better. Ayanna Patterson had a really good debut and I think is going to be a really good basketball player. But none of those are that really tall, that almost back-to-the-basket type presence. Not that you need one of those, but just the height, six foot four. Seems like she has some pretty pretty good length, too, from at least the photos I've seen. She has some pretty long arms. So it's never a bad thing to have another big because they're so hard to find. The success rate, I feel like, is so much lower than it would be with, you know, a guard. So... I always like the idea of replenishing that well every single season, always adding another big. And this is off the top of my head, the fourth straight season they'll have at least someone resembling a big. I'm not counting Aubrey Griffin back in 2018 because I don't think she type quite fits that mold. But you had Aaliyah Edwards in the class of 2020. You had Amari DeBerry last year. You have... Obviously, Ice and Ayana were the two big pieces in last year's class. And then next year, you got El Alfie coming in. I think it's just good roster management. And it's hard to tell with international players, but the fact that so many other good programs, I know it was Louisville, North Carolina, Michigan. Those are some of the ones I can remember off the top of my head. That's usually a pretty good indicator with international players where they are in terms of ability and potential right exactly i think if all those top programs are are interested in them it says something about what all of those coaches have seen which makes you think that there's definitely potential there and overall i the class is official now we heard a little bit from gino but i think it's just gonna be a really really good class i don't really know if there's a generational talent in it the way that az fudd or Paige Beckers are, but I mean, those come around rarely. KK Arnold, I saw her live this summer and just cannot say enough good things about her. She seems like a phenomenal player, really tough, really hard nosed, plays super hard. I think UConn fans are really going to like her. I saw Caden Samuels live, also just feels like a classic UConn player, super athletic, lengthy, can shoot really well, although apparently what happened over the summer was the weekend that UConn landed her. She shot amazing. Couldn't miss a shot. Then right after she committed, she couldn't hit a shot to save her life. So she was still struggling from three when I saw her, but almost, I think this is how I described her back when she committed. And I still think it's pretty relevant, but almost take Aubrey Griffin, but give her more of a guard skill set than a forward skill set. And that's kind of what Caden Samuels reminds me of. And then Ashlyn shade. I haven't seen her play live, but I've heard really good things about her. She seems like a really versatile type player. She's a guard, but she basically played forward one entire game for UConn. So Gino kind of 
made it sound like he didn't expect her to necessarily be just a guard. So I'm really interested to see how they work with her. But again, everything that I've heard about her is really good and her work ethic, her mindset. So I think they're going to get some really good players out of this class. That's going to be the future of the backcourt right there. So exciting times. As Gino said today, there's never a time where you get to signing day and they're like, ah, these players actually kind of suck. There's always going to be a silver lining with every single player that commits, even if it's the worst ranked recruit in the country. They're not even ranked. There's always a silver lining. But from from the way that we evaluate recruits or the way that I look at recruits, usually you can you can get a sense of like, okay, this one's more of a project. This one's more of a projection. These feel like more sure things. So I think it kind of plays out that way with this group too. Definitely. So from next year's team, let's go back to this year's. We saw them in action for the first time against Kutztown at the XL Center. An exhibition is an exhibition. UConn's always going to dominate. And it's really hard not to, you know, have overreactions from these games. And I think... I, I was pretty good at keeping things in check because just last year, Dorky Uhas was unbelievable in the preseason, had an unbelievable exhibition game, and then never played like that the rest of the season. She had flashes of it, but never had that great of a game start to finish. What did encourage me, though, about UConn's performance is everything that they did that impressed me, I didn't really think had anything to do with the opponent. Aaliyah Edwards... I thought played with intensity and played hard from start to finish. And that was something we rarely saw last season. Same thing with Dorka Juhas and Dorka stepped out and hit some shots from perimeter. Again, better teams might be more out on her and might defend her a little better. But when it comes to a jump shot, you still got to knock it down. Olivia Nelson, Adota could have been wide open on 50 shots and she still probably wouldn't have hit that high of a percentage from three. It's an encouraging sign that Dorka shot well in the game. And then Gino afterwards said that she had been in a really good shooting stretch in practice after being in a bad one. Aubrey Griffin, I thought played with some confidence that we hadn't, I mean, we hadn't seen her in a while. So the fact that she was out on the floor at all to begin with, that was a good sign, but even still, I thought she played with confidence. I liked how Lou Lopez Seneschal didn't really seem intimidated by her teammates or the bright lights or the crowd and just kind of went out there and did her thing. And Ayanna Patterson just does not stop and just played at full speed the entire game. All those were really encouraging signs. And in none of them did I mention the play or the numbers or the stats and none of those were based off the way that the stats were Aliyah could have missed every single shot but the fact that she played with intensity and aggressiveness from start to finish would have been a really good sign even if Dorka missed those shots I still would have been encouraged by her performance so that's what I really liked the opponent very overmatched, but UConn still did the things that it needed to do to show that there was some improvement, and that's what I liked. Yeah, definitely. I agree with all of that. The other thing that stood out to me was, I think, just Lou Lopez-Sedrichal's performance um, as a whole. 
I think adding that player, that depth in the backcourt was so important for this team, especially once Paige Beckers went down. But you never really know how a transfer is going to play out. So, like you said, I mean, we saw Dorka play fantastic in the exhibition last year, and then it didn't really sustain. But it seemed like she came out, she fit in very well with this team, with the backcourt, came out, actually got the scoring started for UConn, so I think if we got a preview of what she's going to be to this team in the exhibition game, it's going to be a, a big factor for UConn that they have her and that they have this other player that can knock down threes, so it's not just AZ that can hit shots from the perimeter that, that um, can go out there and hold her own offensively. I think that changes kind of the face of this team a little bit when you know you've got that option in her. Yeah, the fact that Lou scored the first basket of the game really stood out to me just again because i don't think it would be unfair if she came to yukon after being the player at fairfield and sat back a little bit and kind of thought all right well like i'm not going to get the ball every possession so maybe i shouldn't go look for my shot and i should just wait for that shot to come to me and she obviously did not do that by any means by taking that first shot and that's what yukon needs they don't need someone to be passive and defer to other players because there really aren't other players on this year's team the way that there have been in years past they need her to be one of the team's top scorers doesn't need to be number one doesn't even need to be number two but you've got three scoring guards on this team she's one of them she's got to produce good numbers doesn't need to be 20 points a game it doesn't even need to be every single game she puts up big numbers but I thought the fact that she was a versatile scorer who could score from all three levels. I like the way that she drove to the rim. I like how she shot the ball from three. She puts a ton of arc on her shot, which I don't see many players put that much arc on it, but it can only help. And I also thought she dished well while she was driving. So I think it it was a really, really positive performance from her. I am interested to see how she does. I believe Texas was the one who ended her Fairfield career, right? Isn't that who they matched up with in the first round? It is, yeah. And I think she did well in that game. Like, she put up – I'm going to look up the number while we're talking, but she did score a fair amount of points in that game. It was just Fairfield didn't have the talent around her to be putting up the fight against Texas. Right, exactly. I wonder if there's going to be a little motivation there or if it's just a different team. Maybe it doesn't even really matter. Either way, I think that's going to be a really good test for, okay, yeah, she can dominate these low-level opponents like she did at Fairfield. Now, can she do it against Texas? Can she do it against NC State? Can she even do it against Duke? Those are going to be the big questions for me, from me, for her. But you can only play the teams on your schedule. And she's gotten really good reviews from her teammates, her coaches. Gino says that she shows up the same every single day. And one day she was a little off and Gino asked, "Why? what's up with Lou? And they're saying, oh, she had the stomach bug. She was throwing up last night. And he goes, oh, okay. That explains why she's not herself today. So I think all those factors combine it points to her being a pretty good player for this team and i think you know i think it's just it's something that they needed and the more of the season that goes by the more we're gonna be like wow can't imagine where they'd be without lou 
Yeah, exactly. I did find that number, by the way. She scored 17 points against Texas in that game on 50% shooting. So pretty, pretty solid outing. Yeah, which when it's Lou versus the world in that game, that's pretty good. Yeah. Especially Vic Schaefer's defense. Yeah. Vic Schaefer's defense I don't think does Texas not mess is... around. Right. And I don't think Texas is necessarily going to have that intensive a defensive presence on November 14th on Monday as they did in the, the NCAA tournament too. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, it would be different if they lost to a perfect example, Iowa, and she put up those numbers. <laughs> I still think we'd be saying, okay, yeah, but she saw better defenses in the double A Mac. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I was really encouraged. Another player that I think the player that popped the most, honestly, in this game, Ayanna Patterson. She just, I said it earlier, but it's the only way I can really find the words for it. She just doesn't stop. If there's a loose ball, God damn it. She's going to go get it. And if she doesn't get it, then she's going to run over three people trying to get there. And it's almost like if you took Aubrey, you took Gabby and then you combine them and added a ton of muscle. That's Ayanna Patterson. She is going to be really fun to watch. Yeah, exactly. She's just so sad on getting every loose ball, and it's really fun to watch her just kind of go out there and chase after every rebound. And I mean, she was successful in getting a lot of them too. So I think she's going to be a, a big factor for this team, especially when they need a spark off the bench. I don't think she's going to have any problem providing that. Yeah, you bring Ayanna and Aubrey Griffin off the bench. The other team's not going to get a rebound for however long those two are in the game together. <laughs> I mean, I was, I think I said to you during the game, like, wow, if they had Ayana for the national championship game last year, I don't know if UConn wins, but that game goes differently because after two minutes, Ayana Patterson's in that game and suddenly UConn's not giving up a hundred offensive rebounds. Yeah, exactly. Entirely. Really true. That was one of the things that absolutely killed them in that national championship game. Yeah, I mean, you, UConn, I think UConn could have the best case scenario with Dorka Juhas and Aliyah Edwards, and both of them make the leap and are unbelievable this year. And Ayanna Patterson is even just as good as she showed in the exhibition. And Amari, not Amari, or even Amari takes a step forward, and Aubrey Griffin improves i still don't think they could have as good of a front court as south carolina has just because Aliyah boston is that good but if uconn could at least close the gap and then have the advantage in the backcourt that makes it a much different matchup yeah exactly i don't think there's a world where they're gonna have a better front court than south carolina between boston and they just have so much length in that um south carolina front court camila cardoso um Victorious Saxton, they a lot of experience and a lot of size, but the backcourt is definitely more of a question for South Carolina. It's a place that UConn can get the edge when we look ahead to February and the national championship or whenever they have to play them. And um, if they can hold their own in the front court, I think that matchup looks a lot less daunting than it does right now, maybe. I don't know if rooting for this is the right word, but can you imagine if UConn and South Carolina end up in the same regional, like UConn's a two and South Carolina's the one, or I don't know, maybe it's even flipped, whatever it is. Actually, no, it would be better if it was flipped just for the sake of this argument. <laughs> if UConn was the one and South Carolina was the two and South Carolina, and it, this was the Greenville regional and UConn beat 
South Carolina, essentially on the road in a very similar fashion as Bridgeport would be to get to the final four. No one would ever be allowed to talk about UConn getting a home court advantage in the regionals ever again. If UConn does the reverse of what everyone says that they get the advantage from. Argument would that be would dead be forever. Hilarious. Yeah, it would. I don't know that I'm rooting for them to have to play South Carolina with a trip to the Final Four on the line, but it is. It would be a very funny situation to see it happen that way. The thought of it is just scintillating. I also don't think yeah. I even. Yeah, sure. The the committee definitely doesn't take into account matchups that might happen when they make the brackets. Obviously, so <laughs> I can't imagine that they would set it up where UConn and South Carolina isn't at least a final four matchup. I mean, I think it's more than possible. They end up on the same side of the region, but, or the same side of the bracket, but in terms of playing each other in a regional, that seems unless UConn ends up as like a three or four, which I really don't think (laughs) is going to happen. I mean, you know what this season is actually kind of starting to remind me of? I almost feel like it's very similar to the first year after Stewie, where people nationally, I feel like, are saying, ah, there's not really any chance UConn's going to be, you know, the UConn of old. Like, how could they be? They don't have this person. They don't have that person. Oh, they're, they're, they can't actually win a national championship. Like, it would take a miracle for this team to win a national championship. And just the... I don't even want to say it's disrespect because I don't even think it's disrespect really, but the way that people are almost not counting, they're are counting out UConn already when they're still one of the most talented teams in the country. And yeah, they have a lot of questions to figure out, but they've got a lot of good players too. I think people forget that they still have a lot of really good players and it's just the fact that they haven't seen them yet on the floor. So I still think UConn's going to be a really good team. I, I'm i not picking them to win the national championship, but I don't think it's going to be some stunner if they end up winning. And I don't even think it would be the most shocking national championship UConn's won. I think it would definitely be behind 2013. I think you could even make an argument that it would be behind one of the last two Tarasi years, if not both of them. So this is still a really good UConn team. And... Maybe we don't even see that in the first month because of how tough the schedule is right off the bat. Maybe they haven't gelled, but by the time March comes around, I don't think there's going to be all that many teams that want to play UConn. Yeah, exactly. And I think you're right that it is getting overlooked right now. There's a lot of focus on them not having Paige and maybe not as much focus as there should be on what they still have. I've noticed it even like just first couple days of games, like last night during that Tennessee Ohio State game they were talking about like Big Ten teams that are title contenders which whatever but they were talking about like Indiana as a title contender and then they were mentioning other teams not in the Big Ten and they didn't include UConn and us just like really like Indiana is going to win the national championship but UConn's not in the conversation so it's it's definitely interesting. Who has a better chance of winning a national championship Indiana or Iowa? honestly i still think i would go with iowa on that because at least they have caitlin clark because indiana has like no depth last year and they lost multiple starters so they have like two good players i don't really know why we're talking about them as a a title (laughs) contender (laughs) i was just talking with someone today about ali patberg the seventh year senior that they had last year (laughs) she just randomly popped into my brain the other day because 
the concept of a seventh year senior. I really appreciated her because she was the same college year as me. She came in the <laughs> same year. So I always appreciate something like that. But yeah, I mean, Indiana was a nice team last year. I don't see how they're substantially better, let alone a team capable of even getting to the final four unless some upsets go their way. Yeah, they're literally worse than they were last year. I don't understand why we're acting like anything else. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about under the radar, even let's just say Final Four, because I think that's a little bit better of a metric to have, but like under the radar teams to make a Final Four, I don't even think that list is very long, really. I mean, Notre Dame, since they're not in that top four, Maybe NC State if they really figure things out, but even that I feel like is pushing it. I know you're high on Virginia Tech. I feel like that could be a sneaky Final Four team if things go right. I could see one of these mid-major teams that are highly regarded, whether it be South Dakota State or Princeton. Maybe you could make an argument for Creighton or Villanova getting hot at the right time, getting some upsets to go their way where they don't have to face as tough of a gauntlet, the top of the country being weak where, you know, maybe three teams stand out as above everyone else. And then there's not much difference between four and I don't know, I'm picking out random numbers, but 17, then maybe there's room for one of those teams to sneak through and get to a final four. But I don't know. I feel like... I feel like those mid-major teams have better teams than someone like Indiana, who is a little more reliant on a couple of players. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of the things with the mid-majors is that they usually have a really good team and a lot of experience, players that have been there for four years and things like that that allow them to make those runs. And I think you're right. There's a lot of questions, I think, as to who the top teams are right now. I think you know that South Carolina and Stanford are up there, but everyone else has a lot of question marks. So there's definitely room for teams to kind of sneak their way in there. Honestly, Creighton, that was a huge win for Creighton Monday night. They've got a tough week. Like if they come out of this next week with two more wins, they might be a top 15 team. Yeah, I mean, UConn, without doing anything, is going to end up as a top five team this week because Tennessee lost. (laughs) So... When one top five team has already fallen and Ohio state's a good team. It's not like that's the biggest upset in the world, but even still, I don't think. And yeah, South Carolina is the favorite, but as we talked about last week, I don't really think South Carolina is a, I don't know, betting terms and a prohibitive favorite, but to the point where it's, if you're picking them or the field, you're even considering taking them like, I would take the field in a heartbeat in that scenario because I think it's hard to repeat. I think it's hard to have that fire. They're right now on paper, a weaker team than they were last year. Obviously they figured things out last year. And when you have the best player in the country, it makes things a lot easier, but it's question marks up and down from one to how many teams are there? 356. Every team has question marks. And I really would not be surprised if this is a season where there's a couple at the top and then everything behind that, there isn't much separation. Yeah, exactly. I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think it is. 
it is not like South Carolina is not like UConn in like 2016 where you just like yeah that that was who was gonna win the championship. I, I don't feel that way about the South Carolina team. The team was just absurdly good. Yeah, like yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> Gino talks about rolling out the ball and knowing that a team is gonna win a national championship. That was that team. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you had a core of players on the bench that should have won two more national championships after that. Yep. <laughs> Just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Now, looking ahead to the season, I mean, Northeastern, there's not a whole lot to say. The big news is that Caroline Ducharme remains out with neck stiffness. And I'm not going to lie. I am i don't know if I'm necessarily worried about the neck. Gino did say after the exhibition that it could be a season-long thing, which I don't love the sound of that. I'm a little more concerned that there just always seems to be something going on with Caroline last year. Obviously the head injury affected her late in the year, but she had the hip surgery over the off season that I don't know if it limited her, but she said it at times it felt like she was just dragging that leg around. She had injuries in high school. I'm getting to the point where I'm being worried that she's one of those players that always has something nagging her and that's going to limit her ceiling and her potential because not because she can't do it, but because she's limited in some capacity physically because of an injury. Yeah, I agree. it feels like lately it's just been kind of one thing after another with her. So hopefully this is the last thing, but it is definitely concerning when a player, especially this early on, already has that much of a track record of injuries. Then the other note I have written down is something I already said, but it's another exhibition that is yeah. really the clearest thing. I don't know anything about Northeastern. They could have their best team ever. And UConn is still going to beat them by 50. It's the <laughs> way it's going to go. Yeah, exactly. They, I think they lost two of their major scores from last year too. So I think they're, they're not having their best team ever most likely either, but yeah, basically another exhibition, a good warm up before Monday. All right, so let's get into predictions for the season. Going to start off with a couple of statistical categories. Who do you think the leading scorer is going to be? Easy FUD. That's the easy answer, but that's probably the right answer. Yeah, there's sometimes where, you know, you can go past the easy answer just to be a little edgy. I don't even know how you could find. she. I didn't even think she played that well in the exhibition, and she finished with 29 points because she's just that good from three. Yeah, it was insane. It was like a span of, I did the math afterwards, like 12 minutes, so she scored like 23 points. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about who were you impressed from from the exhibition, AZ FUD wasn't on my list because what did we see from AZ that we hadn't seen in the past? I don't think there was every, anything. I would have liked to see more of a mid-range game. I would have liked to see her get to the basket more, pass a little more, maybe defend better. But who am I to complain about someone putting up 29 points or 23 points in the second half? Like that's going to play every single game regardless. Exactly. Leading rebounder. I think I'm going to go with Dorka here just because of how high Gino has been on her saying that she could be a, you know, a top five draft pick and stuff. If she's going to be that kind of player, she's going to probably be their best rebounder. I was thinking Aaliyah just, I think Aaliyah hits the offensive boards a little more. And I feel like half the time defensive rebounds aren't even, I mean, like a good chunk of the time it is, but with the teams UConn are, is going to play throughout the season, 
it's just a matter of which way the ball is going to bounce. And if they're both grabbing the same number of defensive rebounds a game, I think Ali is going to have the edge getting those offensive boards. And not that Dorka isn't going to get them, but I think I would give her that edge. But if we're doing rebounds per 40, which is not what we're doing, this is just rebounds per game. But if it was rebounds per 40, it is easily going to be Ayanna Patterson. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> She's going to average like 30 rebounds per 40. Yeah, she's going to come in and just get every rebound. <laughs> also might average like seven fouls per 40, but like that's something to work on later. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> she's a freshman. She's allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah, she's a freshman who's jacked and can jump out of the gym. She can really do whatever she wants as long as she rebounds the ball. Yeah. <laughs> what about best newcomers? I mean, not a ton of options here. It's one or the other, but. Yeah, I'm going to go with Lou just because I think she's going to play more than Ayana is. And I think she's maybe a little bit more important for this team in terms of like making that backcourt as good as it can be. But it's I feel like it's a toss-up. They're both going to be very good. Yeah, I think it's also just Lou because her impact, her ability to make an impact is just going to be greater. She's going to get more minutes. She's going to have more opportunities with the ball in her hands. I mean, she's going to have to play a lot of minutes just regardless because UConn doesn't have that many guards. So I think it if it's not Lou, I think this team is going to be in trouble, even if Ayana is really good. I just think it's a bigger problem if Lou isn't performing past Ayana, even though those two aren't necessarily comparable. Yeah, exactly. And um, especially with Caroline currently being injured and not really knowing what that's going to look like for the next few games or whatever. I think she's going to be really critical for this team. Next one. I'm very interested at your answer. Cause I think there's a lot of different ways you can go with this and I'm keeping it intentionally open-ended, but most improved player. There are a lot of ways to go with it. I almost want to go. I have, I'm going to cheat and do too. I want to go with AZ because I think we really haven't seen what AZ can do and if this team is going to kind of be the like final four team that we're talking about I think she does really need to make that leap and as good as she was at times last year she really has to be that kind of like all-American caliber player that's a big leap from where she was last year um, and then I could also see Aaliyah fitting into that category. I think if Aaliyah could just turn it on like she did in that exhibition game every game, she's going to make such a big difference for this team. Yeah, you stole mine with Aaliyah because even in the NCAA tournament, she was in foul trouble pretty much all of those close games. And she came in in the fourth quarter a couple times and made the two or three key plays in that game. And UConn doesn't get to the final four. They don't get to the national championship without Aaliyah Edwards. And that was her having what really amounts to a marginal impact. If she's playing well, or not even playing well, but just out there at full go every single game, I don't think we can even conceptualize how good Aaliyah Edwards could be. And I really think she might be a player that it doesn't necessarily show up in the numbers how good she is, but Anyone who watches UConn play and anyone who's seeing what she's doing is going to know just how valuable she is to the team. Agreed. How about this one? Do they have any All-Americans? And because last year they didn't. First time they've gotten to a Final Four, I believe, without an All-American. Don't actually quote me on that. Or first time they've gotten to a championship game without an All-American at the very least. Do they have an All-American, and if so, how many? 
yeah, I think the like getting to the national championship game without an All American as a large asterisk because they still had Pitchbeckers who just didn't play most of the season. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think they have to have it. I think Izzy has to be an All American for this team to have the like, success that it it needs to, and I think she will get to that level. I it's not something I'm like when I'm looking at the question marks for this team. I I don't really feel like Izzy fun playing at that level is one of them. I think we from what we've heard, I feel pretty confident that she's going to play at that level. So I think at least AZ Fudd, I think she might be the only one just because there's like so many players in the country right now that are kind of already have been on those lists that are still kind of back this season. So I don't know. It might be hard for UConn to break two players onto that list unless someone has a really, really standout season. I think it might actually be the opposite where if people are so down on UConn and suddenly AZ and player number two are very clearly leading them, then that could help that player get on because it's going to be a flip from the expectation of what they thought. I think AZ is an easy one. Again, I don't think she played her best game ever against Cootstown and she had 29 points in a blink of an eye. It's just, (laughs) it's a cheat code that shot and I mean, if that's 1% of what she can do in her game, and from all accounts, that is one aspect of her game, that's going to be, I mean, it's it's really a terrifying thought that, again, I don't know if we can conceptualize how good that AZ could be if she has more than just her shot cooking. I think they get another one, though. I'm a little torn on who it might be. I'm backing off my prediction that Caroline's an All-American just because... I'm not fully confident in her being healthy enough throughout the entire season in order to get that All-American nod, even though I think she has the talent and the ability to. If you told me that Caroline was going to have a clean bill of health after the Northeastern game and was going to be good to go, then I'd say, yeah, Caroline's going to be an All-American. I think someone else gets it, though, whether it's Lou even or... Maybe Aaliyah, if Aaliyah's numbers end up being really good, or Dorka. I mean, if Dorka has the type of season that Gino's been talking about, where she's a top four, top five pick in the draft, then she's probably going to be an All-American. So I think there's a lot of options there where someone else is probably going to get it. I just don't know who it would be. So I think my top two picks would be Caroline if she's healthy, and if not, then Dorka. Gotcha. Yeah, I feel like that's fair. Um there, there's a chance that someone else gets in there. I don't know that I'm sold on someone else getting in there, but there's definitely a chance. I would love that for Lou if she like comes to UConn for her, her final year as an All-American. Even if it's just like an honorable mention, that would be very cool. Yeah, and I mean, there's... Is it three All-American lists that are relevant? The WBCA gets your name up on the wall, but then the USBWA, and then the Wooden? Or... Naismith. Yeah. There's, I don't know. There's so many of them. I can't keep track of them. I all. don't know if both of them have one, if just one of them have them. There's four National Player of the Year awards, I believe. There's USBWA, yes. there's WBCA, which is the war, the Wade, right? Wade, yep. And freshmen aren't allowed and to then, win that one for some weird reason. Yeah. Dumb. Then Naismith and Wooden. Oh, and AP. AP, I forgot yeah. AP on the All-American list too, so five. Yeah, 
There's lots of different lists. Yeah, this could be one of those years where those lists look very different for each set. I feel like there's years where it's like they have all these lists, but they're exactly the same because it's just so obvious. I could see just like the spread of the talent and stuff in the, the country this year. Those lists looking very different. Also, I think if we learn anything from the AP All-American honorable mention list last year and Paige getting an honorable mention vote... <laughs> The fact that these players play at UConn is probably going to benefit them because how many people aren't going to do super heavy research and they're just going to be, okay, well, obviously I'm going to pick AZ. Let me pick one more UConn person and like send it in. Yeah. The whoever voted possible. for Paige last year like should have had their vote taken away. That's just, yeah. <laughs> Look, I understand it's a slippery slope, but I am very pro like lose your vote for doing something stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and that is dumb enough to qualify. Yes. I would also like all the people, them to reconsider all the people that have Iowa as like the number three team in the country. But then I re- realized that maybe that's a me issue. <laughs> well, I remember it was probably our first season. I think it was Neil Ivy's first season at Notre Dame, where everyone knew Notre Dame wasn't going to be very good. They were coming off a horrible season. They weren't projected to be significantly better and they clung in the top 25 for way longer. And we're still getting top 25 votes way longer than they ever should have. Yeah. I generally just find that people are like way too invested in where their teams are in the top 25. Big polls a joke. <laughs> like this just, yeah. Like there'll be some mid- mid-major team that's going to make the elite eight or something that's never going to be ranked all season. And people are going to be like, this is the world's most shocking upset. It's like, no, they're just a good team that no one was paying attention to. And I will say, I do not want the job of being an AP voter because... Oh no, same. I don't envy them at all. It sounds awful. It's a lot Right. Of <laughs> I mean, you there's not all the time in the world to be keeping tabs on 35 teams. And like watching each game and knowing, not even watching, even just knowing how each team is playing, that is remarkably difficult. But some things are easy to avoid, like not having page backers on your All-American list. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Next one, one of my favorite ones to talk about. Do they drop a game in the Big East this year? I'm inclined to say no, but if they do drop one, it's to Creighton because I do think this Creighton team is still very good. Yeah, I'm not thinking twice about it. They're not losing a Big East game. It took Liv being out at the last second. I think Caroline missed that game, right? Yeah, they just like they had like half a team for that game. (laughs) And then they still almost came back at the end and won it, so... I think there's some really good teams in that second tier of the Big East behind UConn. I don't think they're good enough to compete with UConn. Unless UConn just has a miserable night. But even still, I don't see it happening. Yeah, I think they could be at risk if they had a bad night like at Creighton. Because I do think Creighton is good. but Or even DePaul. Yeah, and Isamoro can just make you pay for it. Yeah, and if they have a hot shooting night from three. Right. Right. I mean, that's always a fear against DePaul. It feels like every DePaul game is either like close-ish, like they've had some good games recently, or UConn wins mm-hmm. by 50 because DePaul doesn't hit any threes. Yep, that's pretty much DePaul's bread and butter. <laughs> the DePaul experience. It's the Doug Brutal yep. experience, and you gotta love it. <laughs> Lastly, the big one. 
how far do they go? I think they make the final four. I don't have them winning the national championship right now. I feel think that is like South Carolina's to lose. But like you said earlier, would it be like the biggest upset of all time if they won the national championship? I do I don't think they missed the final four though. Unless they get in some kind of situation where they have to like play South Carolina at a regional, which I don't think will happen. So I, I do think they make it to the final four. Yeah, I agree. I think this is an easy one too. What reason is there to say that they're not going to make the final four unless, you know, injuries, things, uh, things out of everyone's control as we saw last year. But if everything goes the way that it should, then I like UConn in the final four. And I think a matter of how far they go in the final four is largely going to depend on what other teams are there and what the matchups are. If they have to play South Carolina in the semifinals, then I don't know. I don't love their chances to win a national championship. If South Carolina's on the other side of the bracket and they get knocked out in the semifinals and they have to play a Cinderella team in the finals, I like their chances a little better. Or if it's we're back to 2016 and it's, you know, a final four of what was it? Oregon State, Washington and Syracuse. Like, I love UConn's chances in that regard. So this season kind of like has that like written all over it. I don't know. There's just like there's outside of South Carolina, there's really no team that I'm like, they're really, really good. Maybe that'll change as we see more. But like, I'm not sold on any of these teams right now. Even last year, didn't South Carolina score 49 points? In yeah, the one of their like ugliest game when they played like Miami or something, yeah, and then all their fans got offended if you said that they had like issues with their offense, like yeah, well you just scored forty nine points, so yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I really don't think that South Carolina is infallible either. So no, I I agree. I think they've got some things they need to figure out, which they probably will figure out, but they definitely have some some stuff to work on. I think people forget how hard it is to get to a final four. And it's not like it was easy. The path to the championship last year for South Carolina wasn't easy. They really didn't. I don't think truly figured out how to play well until the final four. I mean, even UNC gave them a bit of a game. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it really came down to like what Dustin Henderson did in the national championship. And the other game was well, just in terms of, making sure Leah Boston actually got the ball in the paint and then really stepping up to actually be a perimeter threat. And I think they struggled with both of those things at times throughout the whole season. Yeah, I I just think for whatever reason, and I say this having covered a double overtime game that could have gone many ways last year in the Elite Eight, but UConn just seems to have a formula down for getting into the final four. And then it's a matter of once they get there, what are the matchups? How do they play? How does the other team play? And as we saw this past final four, UConn finally had a final four game where they played great. And the other team played like crap. It was like five years where it was reversed every single time. UConn played like crap and the other team played great. That could happen in any game in the final four. I just think it's impossible to predict beyond that when you don't know what the matchups are. You don't know who's going to be there. No one predicted UConn was going to get probably even to the final four, let alone win the national championship Stewie's freshman year in 2013. Yeah. But if you said, okay, Baylor is not going to be in the final four. 
how do you like UConn's chances to win the national championship? You're going to say, I like them a lot better. So if you tell me right now, South Carolina is not in the final four, how do you like UConn's chances? I'd say they're probably second or third in that group of teams of who I'd like to win the national championship. So I think they get there. Yeah. And once they get there, whatever their health is, however the chips fall, that's when we can start to see how things go. Yeah, exactly. And I think things will get really clear about where this team is at too in the next in the next few weeks. They've got quite a lot of big games coming up. So I'll kind of see where they are amongst all these teams with cluster marks very quickly. Yeah, I think what I really like about this year's schedule is you look back to that COVID ended season, not the COVID season, but the year before that, that team that we all knew wasn't that great, but we also never really had that good of an idea of who that team was because they either only played the best three teams in the country or everybody else. They never played a middle class and... I think they've got a really nice middle class this year with NC State, with Duke, with Iowa, with Notre Dame, with Princeton, with Maryland. The teams yeah. that they're going to play in Big East play, even if it's really ugly against Texas. And I think the odds that it's really ugly against Texas, it's possible. I still think we're going to get a pretty good idea of where this team is, even if they fall to Texas, even if it's in you know, pretty substantial fashion because they still play enough good teams that should be beatable for them that it'll figure itself out. And even you get down the line to once the calendar flips and you've got Tennessee and you've got Villanova and you've got South Carolina and Creighton and Villanova, DePaul, there's still enough good teams mixed in there where it's not like you throw it on autopilot for American play. You get a couple of those good non-conference games where you can get up for it. And then you throw it back on autopilot until you get to the sweet 16 and some years, even the elite eight. So at the very least, we're going to learn a lot about this team. And as long as injuries don't strike, we're going to have a pretty good idea of where they stand heading into March. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree. I think they have a good schedule ahead of them. Though I don't know that I'm putting Duke in the good decent test bucket after the way they played on Monday. They did not look good. <laughs> I mean Duke exists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, I, I mean, I'm sure they'll figure some things out, but oof. <laughs> yeah. Very fair. All right. Well, on that note, I have to run. So that's gonna do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. We will talk to you next week.